You are listening to the Choose Your Struggle Podcast, a member of the Shameless Podcast Network. In June of 2021, I accomplished something that is all too rare for those with lived experience. I told my story and made my call for change from a TED stage. The fact is, our society puts too much emphasis on those with learned experience. You know, the person who spent 20 years researching something. And that's okay, because those voices are incredibly important. They provide the information that the rest of us run with. But we can't minimize the voice of those who've actually lived these experiences. That person doing research can't tell you what it really feels like to go through withdrawals, and they shouldn't want to. We need all voices at these tables. So if you're looking for someone who actually has lived these experiences, who can talk about struggling with mental health and substance misuse, who can talk about what it really feels like to go through addiction, who can speak eloquently about the war on drugs from both a learned and lived experience, reach out to me. And if you're looking to create a more complete experience, a round table or whole cadre of speakers, I can bring numerous people with me who have experiences that are unlike mine and unlike anything else that you've heard. So reach out to me today and let's create a complete learning experience for your office, your club, your school, or anywhere else, because these voices need to be heard and these lessons can create change today. Reach out and let's all choose our struggle. Spread love choose your struggle hello and welcome to another special monday motivation episode of the choose your struggle podcast as you're hearing this i've just returned from the podcast conference i got back on friday uh and as i as i said before i'll tell you all about it uh if probably this coming friday's episode but what you're hearing today is a conversation i recorded with someone that y'all loved when she was first on this show about two months ago, uh, Serena Hope's son of Breaking Taboo. This conversation is the one we promised when we were inter- or having our conversation the first time, uh, where we got off onto the tangent of what's wrong and what's right with the, the nonprofit industry. Uh, this is that conversation. Serena was so kind to come back and, and we could actually get into some of those things. Uh, one heads up, as you all probably are tired of by now, this is the, the last of those uh, interviews that I screwed up when I was recording, uh, where I sound like I'm screaming into the microphone. Uh, Given my limited time to edit and to work with this one, I just had to do sort of a quick, dirty uh, editing process uh, to make it so that I'm not blowing out your eardrums. As a result, um, my volume, I still sound terrible, but my volume is is more in line with what it should be. Serena comes off as very soft. That's not her fault. I apologize, Serena. Uh, That is my fault. Um, but the, but the, the conversation is still great. So enjoy this wonderful conversation with Serena Hope Center Breaking Taboo, and I will talk to you all soon. But but back with me today, this is where definitely where I'll start this. Back with me today is one of y'all's favorites, uh, someone who, you know, the, the, the feedback on your episode is fantastic, and I know you shared it all over with your listeners and your followers. It is the one, the only Serena Sun. Welcome back. Hi, Jay. How are you? Thank you for having me again. 
Definitely. So if if y'all remember when Serena and I first started chatting, we got into a really interesting conversation towards the end of our show, completely off topic, uh, about our some of our shared frustrations with the nonprofit industry. Now, as a quick reminder, uh, I do have about a decade in the, in the nonprofit world, and uh, Serena is the uh, are you the founder of your nonprofit or, or just the executive director? I am both. I am both the founder and the executive director. Yeah. Uh, but I think uh, it's, it's worthy to mention that I have also founded uh, businesses before. So I'm familiar with both sides. And it's very interesting to uh, see the differences uh, in the way that uh, certain things are treated. Yeah, so I think one of the the yes, uh, definitely, and that is something I, we can, we should definitely talk about. I think a really great place to start would be talk, you know, just just for a minute or two about the actual not not the sort of uh, the sexy part, but the behind the scenes work that it takes to found a nonprofit. Oh my gosh, people have no <laughs> idea. Yeah, really, people have no idea what it takes. Um, I basically run everything, everything that you see. Uh, I am behind it um, uh, because, especially as for any startup, you know, any type of entrepreneurship, you kind of have to do that as the founder. Um, but the difference is with the nonprofit world, you don't own anything. So the founder doesn't own anything versus a for-profit world. If you're a CEO or founder or whatever, you know, like you own the company, you can have shares, you can whatever, make revenue. Um, the different one of the major differences is that nonprofits, nobody owns anything. It's all um, public ownership. It's like basically you giving it out to the world. And that is why you will see many, many nonprofits where the founder is different from the CEO. Uh, so there's, it's very common that the founder does not stay on the nonprofit for, uh, forever, you know, and, and, um, it's, uh, likely that I won't stay on forever too, that when I get it to a certain point, I might, you know, give it over to someone else or not, but it, it takes a lot, <laughs> a lot of work. Uh, so yeah, everything from, you know, overseeing the, the websites and I've even had to figure out how to build, you know, uh, half of the website myself, you know, completely learn a whole new thing with WordPress. So half of the website that you see <laughs> is like, I, I have something to do with that. And, um, a few of the pages I have built myself and then, uh, you know, everything else that it takes to think about how to make uh, a nonprofit sustainable, just like a business. So, you know, um, uh, starting up the podcast and running the team and having weekly meetings with our social media team. You know, we've been doing that for years. We work very hard at uh, promoting awareness and on a um, millennial and Gen Z social media level. Um, you know, doing all the calls and then uh, uh, getting all the outreach, the, the documentary, which, you know, uh, being the a producer of the documentary, you know, that's like a whole other little business in itself. Um, uh, so, yeah, so that's a little whole other production you know, in itself, it's very much like uh, running its own nonprofit or its own business. Like I think of like film productions, which is the world I come from as a great preparation for entrepreneurship, actually. <laughs> um, and then, of course, we have we have the fundraising. So the fundraising, <laughs> the fundraising is the part that I guess is not the sexy part in your words, uh, Jay, <laughs> um, that a lot of people don't talk about. And yet it is the most important part of a nonprofit. 
So people don't realize that uh, if they're not in the nonprofit sector. And a lot of people don't realize that when they first start a nonprofit. But fundraising is basically the bread and butter of the nonprofit because there is very few other ways that nonprofits can generate, you know, revenue. Like we depend so much on donations, you know, so, but that's a whole other um, beast to master in itself. And I think that's where a lot of people run into trouble. A lot of founders of nonprofits run into trouble is they can't keep the nonprofit sustainable because uh, they don't have the funds to do it. So, yeah. that's obviously the, the, the most important part of fundraising. Before we get to that, can you help the listeners understand sort of why you decided to go the nonprofit route for, for what you are doing as a, as a, you know, instead of just doing this as a for-profit business? Yeah, well, I wanted to solve a social issue. It was very much mission-based. So I want to save lives from suicide by educating the public on mental health uh, and all sorts of mental health um, you know, educational topics while also making that education accessible. So I saw a need. I saw an issue. I saw something that this world needed, and I wanted to solve it. I wanted to basically, in a cliche way, change the world and make a difference. Um, To be honest, how the nonprofit thing started wasn't even really like a conscious choice. It kind of just made sense. It kind of just started going in that direction. And that's where it's been going. I think uh, I think it's the, you know, overall just the way that we think about solving social issues. We tend to think of, you know, helping people and solving social issues as something that is not for profit. You know, businesses typically are, you know, there to make money. That's like the biggest difference that people think is like, you know, uh, businesses are the sole, and I've heard this from, from business owners themselves. A lot of them, they say that, you know, the difference is the sole uh, purpose of a business is to generate revenue. And the more successful you are at generating revenue, that means the more successful your business is. Um, and then the nonprofit sector, the sole purpose is to solve a social issue. So the more successful you are at solving that social issue, the more successful your nonprofit is. However, these types of black and white thinking, I think we are seeing today, uh, you know, um, I I see a small movement growing and I actually do hope that it it gets stronger. But I've been noticing that uh, these two types of thinking is very black and white. And there have has been an effort to kind of move somewhere in the middle. So I know that today there's something called like B businesses. I'm not too quite sure about B-Business, don't know that much about them, but I know that they are for-profit businesses that are purpose-driven and they're trying to kind of merge it like a nonprofit. However, they are still for-profit, so they are still able to focus mostly on generating revenue, from what I understand. Um, I don't think they're supposed to, but if they did, it's not a big issue. So that's a that's a main difference between the nonprofit sector. So yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but <laughs> yeah, no, that's 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 great, and and I think the 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 main focus of what you and I want to talk about here today is a lot of the I, I like that you referenced the black and white thinking, and I think that that is just a a piece of what is sort of. 
uh, very antiquated or or harmful thinking that um, envelops the nonprofit world as a whole. And, and that's kind of what we what we got into in that off topic conversation on our chat was especially specifically talking about Dan Pallotta and um, a lot of his his incredible ideas. But but it was more, I think, this this shared passion for trying to right some of these wrongs. And, and so before we really get into Dan's thinking, you know, if if someone kind of approached you and said, you know, God, you're doing such great work, but, uh, you know, you, you sounded uh, at parts very frustrated with some of the limitations on that work on Jay's podcast. What would you say to them are the sort of the top couple? of things that are really uh, stuck, you know, get, getting to you in the, if uh, working in the nonprofit world? Uh, well, yeah, I would say that the number one thing is that people don't think nonprofits need money. And that is probably the most, like, damaging way uh, to think of many nonprofits. You know, um, nonprofits, I mean, this world runs on money for better or worse, and nonprofits absolutely cannot survive if people don't uh, support the cause financially. So a lot of times people think like, oh, I support this cause. It's such a great cause. Like, this is so awesome. Like, I hear that all the time. Oh, you have saved my life. Or, you know, I, I wake up and I, and I you know, read your stuff and, and it's just, uh, it gets me through the day and da 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 and all these great things, which is absolutely beautiful, you know? Like, I love that. That is exactly what we... Sh- are doing what what our mission is and what about the actual like nonprofit itself what about actually sustaining you know this type of work how are we going to keep going with this type of work if people just kind of like take 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 and they don't think about giving back and I think a part of that is that they feel like nonprofits don't need money you know, so it's been really interesting. Uh, we, you know, we have a lot of support um, in the social media world, and you know, just like in general, a lot, we've heard. You know, a lot of people are very supportive of us. Um, yet fundraising has always been a challenge uh, with certain populations that um, we uh, were hoping to get a little bit more support in. And I think a part of that is simply just the lack of awareness and how much nonprofits really do depend on financial support from other people. You know, that's such a a great point. And I, am thinking back on my, um, my, my time spent in the nonprofit world and there was a sort of an adage, uh, that was, that was sadly very true. and, And that is that, um, the, the joke was that for that every fundraiser needed two things: coffee in the morning and, and weed at night, because you're you're underpaid, you're overworked, and you're carrying this entire organization on your back. And you know it it's so much work uh, that that you know at least thinking back to when I did it in in multiple situations. You know, I was doing the job of what in the the corporate world would be three or four people, and and no one would bat an eye at that. But in the nonprofit world, it's oh, we have to keep costs down, we have to all these things, and, and so because of that, the the average time that a person in the nonprofit world, at least this was this was true six years ago when I finally got out of it, but the average time that that someone would spend in a role in the nonprofit world was about a year and a half because people burn out so quickly, yes. and those who didn't uh, got promoted. 
You know, the, it was it was you could climb. I went from entering the world to running an organ, uh, running a fundraising operation in four years because uh, it just was that the need was there and also there is some sexism involved as a guy in a world that is mostly women i unfairly got promoted a lot so uh it 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 is a it is a very um toxic environment for a lot of people uh i i there there were so many days when i worked at make-a-wish where I would get back to the office after a fundraising meeting to find phones ringing off the hook, the three people in our sort of uh, that, that that did the behind the scenes work to make sure trips were going okay, all literally at their desk trying to eat lunch while bawling, uh, just so stressed out that they were bawling, and, and and we would all end up staying till six or seven at night to try to pick up the slack. Now, of course, you hear that and you go, oh, you know, they should hire more people. Nope, that's just a nonprofit environment well you know what's so interesting jay i did not know that you uh worked for make a wish and that this was behind the scenes of make a wish i will tell tell you something right now make a wish i have actually heard other people talk about make a wish um saying that make a wish spends too much money on overhead and that they have a like low charity navigator score even though i know make a wish is very popular almost all of the uh larger um corporations uh have make a wish uh as one of their you know uh sponsored organizations so in that way you know make a wish has really done a great job with getting corporate sponsorships you know which again is also very necessary with nonprofit world a lot of people also don't know that um the importance of, of sponsorships as well but i have heard that make a wish has a small like a low charity navigator score now i have not actually checked that out but that's just what i heard on the street and i find that and i'm saying this because of what you just said you know i that is ridiculous that people are even concentrating on that and that's another thing that i wanted to get into actually is that people look at this thing called like charity navigator and they specifically look at how much money they are not spending on like overhead and people's salaries, you know, and, and the sustainability of it. And then if you, the less money you spend on that, the higher, like percentage wise, the higher your score is and quote unquote, the better of a nonprofit you are. And that is exactly the thing that is the most damaging to nonprofits that I have heard um, Dan uh, Pelota and and you know various other people come out and speak about. Yeah, so very quickly um, for for those who don't know this, so so yes, there is a score given to nonprofits uh, at least, and I don't know if this is still the case, but back when I was in it, that was a score that that, that nonprofit leadership really cared about. Um, and that score was kind of based on some some antiquated thinking. Now, uh, as we keep referencing a guy named Dan Pilata, until roughly uh, when did his first TED Talk drop? About 2012 or 14, somewhere in there. Until him, nobody on a grand scale had ever had the nerve to question the the rule in nonprofits, which was if you were spending anything less than 85% of all money in the door on the mission, uh, I mean, you were seen as criminal. It, it was it was you might as well close shop because people were going to stop giving you money. 
now, what that means is for eight, every dollar that comes in the door, 85% of it needs to go back out the door. Now, obviously, if if we were a business, you would go, well, that doesn't make any sense. And yeah, it doesn't make any sense. You need to spend money to, to, to grow. Uh, but in the nonprofit world, that's that's what was uh, th- their rule for keeping uh, funds low on, on things like, um, you know, hiring on things like, uh, advertising. It was because that this was the industry standard and Dan Pilata came along and decided to challenge it. And Dan got very famous for this. He ran a breast cancer, uh, uh it actually was just a cancer organization. Uh, and he spent a lot of money on fundra- on, on, uh, advertising and on fundraising. And because of that, he brought in, so much money. He was very, very successful, became a well-known fund or nonprofit leader. And then his board moved against him because they got too many uh, complaints because he was spending so much money on fundraising. And his point, which was accurate, was great. I can spend less, but I'm also going to bring in 90% less. Is that really what you want? And unfortunately for him, they kind of went, yeah, that is what we want. We Appearances are more important here. That is a very short and, and bastardization of his story. So, so definitely go research it. Um, I, I, that, that's how we got off on this tangent because Serena brought him up when we were first chatting, and, and, and he is a really it's interesting guy. Yeah, so he, he's done a TED Talk in multiple books. Uh, I kept his books on my desk when I worked in nonprofits because I, fir- I firmly followed his belief uh, that you needed to do more of this. And it set up some really unfortunate clashes with leadership, N- not not at the other nonprofits, but specifically at Make-A-Wish, uh, where, where, you know, I, I went to New York to visit family. And, and in New York, I saw advertisements for Make-A-Wish everywhere. And you don't do that in Cincinnati, at least where I was running this organization. Uh, and, and I was basically like, look, because they'd been on me for a while to make more, to bring in more money. Were they going to hire someone to work with me? No. Were they going to do any advertising? No. They just wanted me to find more money. And I said, guys, you got to do something. You cannot, your answer cannot just be Jay, do more. That's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, by the way, um, uh, what happened with Dan, as he said in his TED talk, he said that he basically lost the, his uh, role in the nonprofit world overnight. It was like that quick. They, you know, he was doing a great job. He brought in like millions, and then they basically, I don't, I don't know if they fired him. That's what it sounds like. But you know, it's just they were like, nope. This isn't working, even though his nonprofit was growing tremendously fast. But other people saw the score or saw what they were spending money on and said, nope, that's not what you're supposed to be spending money on. Uh, And they just weren't. It's that like, yeah, black and white thinking. And by the way, people do still pay attention to that. People do. There are still people out there that think this way. Uh, and I think that is a conversation that still needs to be changed. You know, <laughs> we still need a lot of movement in this. Um, the other thing, Dan, uh, by the way, what you brought, I mean, sorry, um, Jay, what you brought up before, uh, about, um, the, uh, being a male and also rising because you just stayed on there longer. I have actually experienced that firsthand with someone that I knew, very closely in the nonprofit world, same exact thing happened to him. 
<laughs> and I will also say that uh, the nonprofit that he worked in, um, his CEO, who was a male, uh, made over three is making over three hundred thousand um, a year, which is great. That is great for uh, especially in the world of nonprofit. Um, and uh, during some of my interviews, I had the opportunity to meet quite a few um, other nonprofit CEOs. Uh, you know, many of them female, because like you said, it is a very much female-driven world. Um, and uh, and they were making about 25% of that with the same job uh, and some of them with like even more centers that they had to run. So Yeah, so so two thoughts on that real quick because this is a very important topic and it's one that gets talked about a lot. Not just the sexism because that is is doesn't matter what industry we're talking about, right? That is the case everywhere. Um, but when it comes to nonprofit world, uh, so two things. Number one, longevity is king. Uh, I, I, when I first got into the, into the business, I was trained by three people, one of whom was so incredibly good at her job and had uh, never been promoted. She just was a, very good at it, but, but she was very unassuming, kind of laid back. Uh, the other one was, was also pretty good at his job. Uh, he really took me under his wing. I have to thank him for that. His, his name is Dan, Dan M. Sicky. Uh, he he uh, was more forceful and had been promoted multiple times because of that. And then the third person left not long after I started. I don't, I'm not. I don't even remember her name, so it doesn't. I don't. I don't need to say it. But um, she. After she left, I, I kind of asked Dan, I pulled him aside and said, I thought she was pretty good. And he's like, man, listen, he's like, she has never brought in a major gift. She bounces from business to business, gets gets hired within a year. She's on to something else. And it's before, you know, the chickens come home to roost kind of thing where it's like before they realize, wow, she doesn't actually she's not a good fundraiser. Uh, but in fundraising, you can make a career by doing that just by bouncing around. But the, but the bigger the bigger topic is. People love to criticize the the salary of people who run nonprofits. You know, mm -hmm. we, we heard this famously about what was this? Maybe five years ago, around the woman who ran the Red Cross, and she ended up the, the National Red Cross, and she ended up resigning over this. Um, she was making a good amount of money. Now, was her salary really high? And and sort of in the the bigger question about should people who run businesses be paid, you know, 10, 20, 30 times more than than everyone else in the business? That is a very good conversation to have. And it's one that's finally being had. But she was making, I think, like $500,000, which is a lot of money. Like, we're not going to say it's not a lot of money. But she was running a business the size that if it was a for profit, she would have been making millions. And nobody until recently ever questioned why Jamie Dimon at uh, is he the, he's the head of Chase Bank I think it is um, or any of these other bank leaders are making you know 20, 30, 40 million 50 million a year oh yeah that's just what they get paid but the woman who runs the Red Cross oh why is she making 500,000 now was there some sexism in that of course there was but there's also this feeling that in, in the nonprofit world, you should just want to do this work out of the goodness of your heart. And by the way, we should all applaud people like you, Serena, who do this work out of the goodness of their heart. But you know what? That should be a bonus. You should also be paid what you deserve. Exactly. Absolutely, Jay. And I'm so glad that you touched upon the Red Cross one because that also that mindset is still happening. I believe that the CEO of the Red Cross right now uh, makes about 2.2 .2 million, uh, something like that uh, as of right now. And people, 
even just saying that the CEO of Red Cross makes two over two million dollars. I bet you there are going to be people that listen to this and they think, wow, I can't believe that. That is so much money. I bet you there's a lot of mixed feelings around this. But think about this. How much money does Elon Musk make? And why is Elon Musk hailed for being a billionaire? Like that is something that makes him awesome is the amount of money that he makes. Yet the person that's running all of these Red Cross, think about how many different Red Cross centers there are, like the amount of work that that takes. She can't make a few million dollars. Why is she not making billions? Why is she not being rewarded for that? And that kind of goes back to the other issue of nonprofits, which you also touch upon, Jay, which is the extremely fast rate of, of turnover. So, yeah, you said that people, there are people that only stay in nonprofits for, what, a year, year and a half, I think you said. So, yeah, absolutely. There are so many people that choose other things. Like there's always turnover. There's always so much time being spent on recruiting more people, recruiting new people, because people are just getting underpaid. They don't feel like they can get, you know, live on this type of salary or have a future with this type of salary. You know what's really sad? I was actually talking to uh, an executive director, not a CEO, but a, a pretty high up executive director of a um, fiscal sponsorship. Um, I won't mention which one, uh, but it's, it is one that I know very well. And we, and I just had some questions around this and I was very curious. And um, I asked her, I said, do you feel like you can support a family on your salary as an executive director in your nonprofit right now? And she said, no. And I said, so you can't like be able, if you were to have kids and you know, if you had to like support them, be the, you could not be the breadwinner. And she said, no, absolutely not. And then I said, well, how do you plan on supporting us, uh, a family on this, you know, in the nonprofit sector? And she said, you know what? That's a really good question. I don't know. And that's an executive director. And it's a relatively large um, nonprofit. And it's very common. This is something, this is an issue that I've heard many times from many people who work in the nonprofit world. And I think that's part of the reason why you will see also more women in the nonprofit world because traditionally women are taught to be nurturing, they're taught to be caring, you know, so we have the personality aspect of it, like helping other people. Okay, we have that. But also in the sexist, you know, or whatever world that we still live in, Women are more used to making less money and depending on men. So you will rarely see men in the nonprofit sector because a lot of them know that they can't make enough money to feed their kids, to put their kids in a good school. And that's just really sad. No, that is that is literally the case. And I, I'm, I'm using that word correctly. The reason why so, there's so many more women is that to work in the nonprofit sector, you cannot be the main bread, breadwinner for your family. It's not possible. And, and so for me, coming from a place of privilege, I was going to be okay, even if I wasn't making what I earned, uh, because I had money to fall back on, you know, and, and then eventually, because I had a wife who was making a good a good salary. Um, and, and for a lot of women, it's because their husband or, or whatever the case is, is, is making good money. And 
if it, we wonder why there's so much talent suck, why there's why so many people leave the nonprofit sector to go to, to work the for-profit world, and we go, God, we wish we could change this. We wish they would stay in the nonprofit sector. Oh well, we're still not going to pay them what they're worth. So it, you're you're exactly right, Serena, and, and it's such a shame. Uh, you and I could go on this for a long time, though. So let's start to wrap up with with the the first question here for you, as someone who still is running a nonprofit. If you could change one thing of the way people think about your industry and about the work you do what would it be oh that is a good question there's like many all right, all right. If, if you could change three things about the, what people think um well first of all thinking that nonprofits don't run on money i think the overall umbrella actually is is uh the subject of money actually i think i think honestly sad to say that's what it is and it is ironic because the word non profits right not for profits yet i wonder sometimes if that word is really is actually hurting the work and the impact that we create um because in order to go out there and create this impact you absolutely need money to do that you know uh, how are people like how, how can they like travel to africa and do all this stuff and that you know and like support all that without any money it just doesn't happen you know how can we save lives on a mass scale and get educational programs you know to everywhere that we need to without any money it doesn't happen um so i think number one i want to kind of i guess break that taboo break the taboo around non-profits not needing money secondly i think um to go along with that is yeah paying people what they deserve which is what what you just said jay um you know uh thinking of like why i think uh, uh dan uh Pelota actually said this um he was saying okay so to actually quote him he said that we don't like nonprofits to use money to incentivize people to produce more social service we have a visceral reaction to the idea that anyone would make much money helping other people. Interesting that we don't have a visceral reaction to the notion that people would make a lot of money not helping other people. You want to make $50 million selling violent video games to kids? Go for it. We'll put you on the cover of Wired magazine. But if you want to make half a million dollars trying to cure kids of malaria, you're considered a parasite. So I think that kind of really, really speaks to it. Um, and the other thing that we did not touch upon, actually, Jay, that I thought was really interesting, I was thinking, uh, this is just something that I've noticed working in the nonprofit world. Nonprofits are known to be nice. The nonprofit world has a very, like, like nice demeanor around it. I think people expect people working in the nonprofit world to be nice, uh, which is true. You know, we're all very caring, nurturing people. We all want to do great things for this world. That is the underlying mission of everything that we do. So yeah, I do think the personalities that go in the nonprofit world do tend to be generally just quote unquote nicer, <laughs> nicer people, perhaps uh, considerate people to do it. However, that is not always the case, nor should it be the expectation, I would say. Um, and I say this just because, you know, I feel like there is a lot of pressure uh, with um, nonprofit, you know, directors and people just representing nonprofits to always have this like image of, of charity and purity and goodness, almost like we're like a saint, like we're like Mother Teresa or something. You know what I mean? Um, regardless of, of what what type of nonprofit work that you do. And um, 
I think that that really stereotypes and it actually puts people in a box. Um, uh, and, and I just have to compare it again to people in the for-profit world. Like, for example, you know, uh, Steve Jobs was considered an asshole by a lot of people, you know, uh, and uh, people still hail him. People still think he's one of the greatest people that ever lived. It doesn't matter that Elon Musk is known to be a womanizer or whatever else that he's done. You know, people still hail him because he's able to make a lot of money and he's a billionaire. Um, and he's done. He has done a lot of great things too. But I feel like people in the business world have more leeway as far as uh, you know um, being authentic and like you know. Um, and not having to like put on this hat of being like a saint all the time. And then people in the nonprofit world are expected to be saints. Uh, and that's just not real. It's just not real. You know, no one's, <laughs> no one's really a saint. Um, and there are a lot of frustrations and issues that people deal with, uh, regardless of what sector you're in. Um, so that is just something that I have noticed uh, just uh, in my time in both sides of the, the spectrum. Well, I, I appreciate your, your honesty and your vulnerability with that. And uh, I, I would love to finish this by just, if you wouldn't mind, shouting out where people can follow you, where they can contact you if they've forgotten since last time, uh, and, and how people can get more involved with your organization. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, you can follow me personally on uh, uh, Serena Hope Sun. Um, on Instagram, uh, Twitter, TikTok, uh, whatever, <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> and um, you can also check out my nonprofit on mental health awareness and suicide prevention called Breaking Taboo at breaking-taboo.org. And on Instagram, we're at Breaking Taboo. We're also on Pinterest, Breaking Taboo Org, Twitter, Breaking underscore Taboo. Uh, TikTok and Facebook is breaking taboo. So, yeah, or you can just Google us too. <laughs> well, Serena, thank you so much uh, for coming back and having this honest conversation about uh, what it, what it really looks like to work behind the scenes in a nonprofit world. And uh, I hope this is a conversation that we can continue to have because uh, you know, as as you know about my work. Uh, sort of ending stigma and, and promoting honest and fact-based education it, it are, are my main goals. And a lot of times those just focus on, you know, taboo topics, to, to use your, your title. But at the same time, having a better understanding of the world we live in and, and, and things that exist around us is so incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely, Jay. Yeah, thank you for wanting to have this conversation. Um, I've never had this conversation <laughs> publicly before with anyone, but uh, I think you know, I think it's on a lot of minds with people that are in the nonprofit sector, and it is an issue. I'm passionate about this because I feel like you know, it's an issue that needs to be solved because there's so much great work to be done. There really is, and the nonprofit world can can be. I, I really see so much potential with what it, it can be if um, society gets over this type of old school black and white thinking. Well, thank you again, and we'll, we'll keep the conversation going. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Jay. <laughs>